Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome on the live stream. Thank you for joining us. Um, let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard to find uh, enough hope to sing the songs that we've just been singing with conviction. When we're in desperate circumstances or we're in a place of crisis, it's difficult to see anything but darkness and danger. Uh, King David of Israel was living in that place, but it says uh, that he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. For the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at some incidents in the life of King David to show us how to find hope in desperate circumstances and how to find hope in desperate crises. So this week's challenge is found in 1 Samuel chapters 27 and 29. Yes, that's two full chapters of Scripture, um, but trust me, we're not going to be here uh, till this afternoon. We are going to, however, develop a plan for uh, developing uh, hope in desperate circumstances. And so we're going to develop a plan this morning that I hope will be uh, helpful to you. Our focus will be doing so in line with our identity and values as followers of Christ. So we're going to talk about that in a moment, but let's first uh, read the scripture. It's an extended uh, passage, but uh, let's uh, pay attention to God's word. 1 Samuel 27, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, uh, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeramalites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusting, trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. We need to quickly dip into chapter 28 here. In those days, the, Phil the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Chapter 29, 
Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is at Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us into battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Today we're looking at King David from Israel's early history. He was going through a bitter time. We're going to develop a plan for finding hope when your life is on fire and when you are in desperate circumstances. That is where David was. But before we develop that plan, we have to set in place a foundation for uh, what to set our plan on. And there's two things that uh, are important that will give our plan shape. They are our identity and our values. So we're going to develop this as we go through the plan. But let's start with David's identity and see how it influenced his plan. So David needs to remember his identity. Who is this guy? Who is David? Well, he's the king of Israel. Who says so? Well, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You remember the story? Samuel went to Jesse and they had a banquet and, and uh, Jesse started bringing his sons before uh, Samuel. And, you know, the first one was Eliab. And, uh, you know, my oldest brother's name is David. And um, um, he, uh, he comes out and Eliab is strong and good-looking, unlike my oldest. No, let's not go there. Um, he's strong and he's good. And, and Samuel says, wow, surely this is the guy the Lord has picked as king. And God said, no, no, 
Remember these words? Uh, Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And after going through all of them, and wow, it's none of these ones. Uh, What's going on here, Lord? Uh, Jesse, you got another son? Well, yeah, there's David. David. He's out taking care of the sheep. Get him over here. We're not eating until he comes. And he anointed him with oil in front of his family and said, this is the king of Israel. So God says so, and Samuel says so. Well, not only that, but, uh, you know, the time frames are kind of weird, but uh, David gets into the service of Saul and uh, becomes a great commander in the army. And that's where that song came from. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Became very successful uh, military commander. And so successful, uh, Saul got jealous of him and is now trying to kill him. And uh, Jonathan, who is the heir to the throne, the next king of Israel, at one point uh, is so uh, and taken by David, he takes off his royal robes and puts them on David and takes off his royal armor and puts them on David. What a picture of Jonathan transferring the right of kingship to David. And it wasn't Jonathan that actually did that. It was God that did that. And uh, Samuel anointed him. But then take a look at the words of Jonathan in 1 Samuel 23. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. There's some kind of humility in that when Jonathan recognizes what God's plan is. But listen, not only that, not only has God said it, Samuel said it, Jonathan said it, Saul himself says it. After David spares his life, we read in 1 Samuel 24, 20, where where Saul uh, is talking to David and he goes, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So who is this guy? He's the king of Israel. And yet, he's still fleeing for his life. But he has a plan, and you can have a plan, but it has to grow out of your identity and values. So let's ask this question. Uh, What is my identity? Who am I? Who am I? I am Roger, the son of David. Not only is my oldest brother named David, my dad was David. And so I am the son of David. And some of us put our identity in our family. I'm a dad. I'm a brother. I'm a son. And family is really important, and it should be. But that isn't the sum total of your identity. You are those things. I am the son of David, but that's not the sum total of my identity. It's not the most important part of my identity. For some, it's tied to their vocation. I'm Pastor Roger. Well, that's true. But that's not the sum total of my identity. Some people say, well, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. It's what I do. It's what I do is my identity. What if you can't do that anymore? Now you're, what, Nobody? Some people feel that way. But that's because they're misinterpreting who they really are. That's not the sum total of who you are. Some people say it's uh, my identity is in my success. I've achieved some kind of a marker. I drive a certain kind of car. I live in a certain place in town. I've I've, I've got something. I, I own a boat or a Mustang or something. And you go, that's, that's who I am. I've, I've arrived. 
And they put their stock in those things. But that's not who you are. Who you really are, your identity, is who God says you are. So who does God say you are? God said David is the king of Israel. We are who God says we are. Now listen, I want to get very clear for a moment here. If you have not trusted Christ, then this is who God says that you are. He says that you are a sinner. That you are lost. That you are separated from God by your sins. That you're actually the enemy of God. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Even though you're walking around in the world, you're actually spiritually dead. And that's who God says you are. And you go, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. I'm a good person. I know. I like you. And you're here. You're I'm coming to church, aren't I? I sang those songs, didn't I? But listen, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, then God says that you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. But I have good news for you. You don't have to stay there. God says, anyone who comes to me, anyone who calls on me, I will save. You can be given life right now. And if you trust Christ as your Savior, then then who does God say you are? Then, and only then, God says, you're my child. See, we're not all children of God. The Bible says that those who uh, receive him, to them he gave the authority to be called the children of God. Who were born again. Not because of your race or where you come from. Not because you want it so bad. Not because somebody else wants it for you. I know a lot of people, their parents really want it badly for them. Or their brother really wants it badly for them. That's not makes you a child of God. It says who were born of God. You have to be born again. God has to give you life. And when he does, you'll be his child. Not only that, he says you are a, a saint. You don't have to like do some cool thing to become a saint. You are a saint. If you're in Christ, you are a holy one. You have been made a saint. Not only that, God's spirit lives within you. You you have God living with you, going through the things that you go through with you. It's amazing. And so if you're in Christ, that's who you are. You're part of the church. We just sang that song. You're part of the body of Christ. You belong to him. You're a living stone. I know we're broken stones, but we're also living stones. We've been made alive and placed into God's body exactly where he wants us. We've become part of something that's much bigger than we are, bigger than our lives even, bigger than than history even. We belong to him. We have a heritage and we have a hope. We have an eternal destiny. That's who you are. That's who God says you are if you're in Christ. And you can have that today if you trust him as your Savior. Well, the second part of uh, what is going to shape our plan is not only our identity, but our values. Our values are what is important to us. And our values come out in all kinds of ways. I know what I say my values are. Um, The people around me know what my values are. (laughs) And how do they know that? Our values are the beliefs and the desires that drive our words and our actions and our emotions. And so the people around me very quickly find out what I really value because of what I say. And sometimes what I say, do you know that 
God is going to hold you accountable for every idle word. Why? Because your words reflect your heart. They reflect what you truly value. Not only that, your actions. People, I, why do people do what they do? All behavior makes sense if you understand its purpose. It's driven by values. Now, often I say I believe this, but what I do reflects a different belief. We all wrestle with that. Are you with me on that? Do you struggle with that sometimes? I hope you do. Otherwise, if I come up here all by myself, and that would be bad. We know we struggle with this. That's the Christian life is transforming what we actually believe into action um, against what comes naturally, honestly, a lot of the time. And so my values are what I truly believe and the desires that drive my words and my actions and my feelings. Living by true values uh, should not change in desperate circumstances and give shape to the decisions we make as part of our plan. Hey, summarized really easily, what are the values that we have? Love God and love people. We have them right out on the wall. You can walk out the door, take a look at the wall. That's our values. That's what we should be living by. Love God and love people. Um, the problem is life gets really, really messy. So here, how do I find hope in desperate circumstances? Uh, let's uh, get to the plan. First of all, I find hope in desperate circumstances, when I prioritize seeking safety. Now, this is David's testimony about his situation. He has been on the run for quite a while now, and his own words about that time were to Jonathan, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, there is only but a step between me and death. That's, that's desperate circumstances. Like, the next wrong turn could put me at the end of a spear. So David makes the following decision. David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do, think about this, the best thing I can do is um, escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his land. Now, getting a job as a mercenary with Achish of Gath hardly seems like the path to safety. Do you remember David tried this one other time? When Saul first started pursuing him, he took off because he was getting spears thrown at him. He, he cut out of there. He didn't bring anything with him. He had no armor. He had no food. He goes to the priests at a place called Nob and he says, hey, do you got any food? And the priest says, oh, we got nothing here but the showbread from the temple like that we lay before the Lord. David says, give it to me. You know, that's not lawful. But the priest gives him the food. And then David says, hey, hey, do you got any uh, weapons around here? And uh, the priest goes, uh, no, no, we're not into that. Like, we're priests, right? We're, we're men of peace. Um, but uh, there is the sword of Goliath behind the altar. The sword of Goliath. Where did they get that thing? David cut off Goliath's head with it. And so he takes that sword of Goliath. And where does he go? Goliath's hometown. He goes to the king of Gath, Goliath of Gath. And so when he shows up there, dragging Goliath's sword, where uh, a place where they're singing about him, yeah, David has killed his tens of thousands. Tens of thousands of who? Uh, Philistines. And there he is. And uh, so the king of, of Gath, they go, hey, hey, king, look, we got you this mighty warrior. And uh, David goes, I think I'm in trouble here. 
And so he starts acting like he's crazy. He lets spit run down his beard. Sometimes I do that by accident. But, uh, you know, and he starts writing weird things on walls and just acting like you're crazy. And the king says, listen to this. Don't I have enough crazy people around me? <laughs> Who's he talking to right there? Like, uh, that, that makes his court look really good, right? Don't I have enough crazy men around here? I don't need another one. And so David escaped and he left there and he went down to a place and, uh, and all these people started coming to him. His brothers came there probably because they didn't have any choice. Saul was ready to kill them. David took his parents and he took them to Moab and left them with the king of Moab, probably because his great-grandmother was from there. Do you remember that, Ruth from Moab? And so he got his parents into a safe place and he's hiding and his brothers come to him and then all these guys come to him. 600 guys come to him. Who are these people? Um, Oh, they're a band of misfits. Everyone who was in distress. Everyone who was in debt. Hey, you owe owe some money? Just take off and join David. Don't worry about paying that back. Yeah, the royal bank will never find you. It's going to be fine. And so off he goes. And so everyone in debt, everyone bitter in soul. Hey, you're really bitter in soul? You're like, you hate life? You're angry about things? Hey, come and hang out with me. It'll be great. We'll really enjoy each other. Now, this is not a good thing. And so everybody that's discontented and disappointed, and David takes his band of mercenaries, who, by the way, were outnumbered by Saul like five to one. So he said, why didn't he just stay and fight? Um, He'd been doing that. Wasn't working out real well. Outnumbered, outgunned. So he takes his 600 mercenaries and hires himself out to a Philistine king. But it worked. He's safe. Saul stops trying to kill him because he's out of Saul's area of influence. And so he removed himself. So here's the thing. Seeking uh, safety takes creativity, but it also has its limits. Do you remember David had two chances to kill Saul? Do you remember that? Um, Now, would that not have been the best route to safety? Saul's trying to kill me. I have the chance to kill Saul If Saul is dead, Saul can't kill me. That seems pretty obvious. So why didn't David just kill Saul? Well, perhaps he was very pragmatic. And he recognized, if I kill Saul, what's to stop the next guy from just killing me? If killing the king is no big deal. But you see, we need to understand more about this story. We need to realize that this history that's being recorded for us here in Samuel, it's from a particular worldview. And it's a worldview that actually reflects David's worldview. David knew that God is in control. He not only knew who he was, but he also knew who he was in light of who God is. So he could say in Psalm 27, 1 and 2, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. The writer of First and Second Samuel is recording how Saul was rejected by God and his subsequent decline until his death. He's also recording how David is given God's favor and chosen by God and his ascendancy to the throne of Israel. So David was unwilling to take things into his own hands. 
because he had a clear understanding of what God was doing and a respect for how God was working. David actually had a very clear understanding of his identity and how to live out his values. However, it sure doesn't look like it's going well for David right at this moment in the story, does it? It does not. So David gets out of Dodge and understanding the violent and chaotic times, hires himself and his men out as mercenaries, and Saul stops chasing him. So he has achieved a level of safety for himself, his family, and his men. So what kind of safety are you needing to create? Physical safety? Uh, call 911. Now, I'm serious about this. If you are in danger, call 911. They are there to help you. I know they don't always, but they are there to help you. And so, how about emotional safety? How can you uh, develop emotional safety for yourself? We all need that. There's all kinds of different levels of safety. Uh, here's a question. How can you be a safe person for someone else? How can you create trust in a safe space for someone to open up? But here, here's some more important questions. What values are driving you? Is honor and justice driving you? Is honoring God, the other person, and yourself? Is seeking true justice what's driving you? Because when those things are driving us, it makes our choices a little bit different in some situations. Situations are really difficult. They're really, life is messy. When we get into desperate situations, um, what's really happening is unclear. And sometimes what to do isn't very clear. And so we need to know who we are and we need to allow our values to drive us. So here's a question for you. If you're fleeing for safety, is where you are fleeing to in line with your identity and values? Let me just say that that can be a very difficult place to be. Have you seen that advertisement where the lady peels the lid off the, the, the can of food to eat and the roof tears off? And she puts it back on and the roof comes on? Sometimes the choices people have to make are very difficult. And I've talked to, to people who allowed themselves to get into a situation that seemed to give them safety but violated some clear commands of God. So maybe like stealing in order to do something, in order to, to keep yourself safe, I don't know. They're hard decisions. David was in a tough place. He sold himself out to, a, to the enemies of Israel as a mercenary. Was that the right thing to do? I don't know. He, he found safety. My question is, are we fleeing for safety to places that are not in line with our identity and values? Well, let's uh, move on. I find hope in desperate circumstances when I prioritize seeking safety, but also when I uh, prioritize settling stability. So David gets enough favor with Achish that he asks for a city away from Achish's royal city. Now, think about Achish here. He's a king. He's got lo lots of guys probably. And, uh, you know, the last time David showed up, he was by himself and like it was kind of iffy. Um, now he shows up, he's got 600 guys with him. And these are, these are not, like, read about David's mighty men. Who were David's mighty men? They were these guys. These are the guys that did exploits. One of them jumped down into a pit on a snowy day and wiped out two lions. Uh, another guy killed 300 people in a field of beans. Like, these guys are 
Like, they're warriors, man. And they show up on Achish's doorstep. And Achish goes, wow, um, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So Achish has got, like, he's got these, this um, troop of mercenaries in his city. And so when David says, hey, why don't you, it's not right for me to live here. Um, why don't you give me a city um, out in the country? Nikish goes, oh, that will solve a lot of problems for me. And so he does. He gives him Ziklag. Aren't you glad you don't live in Ziklag? Where are you from? I'm from Barrie. I'm big on Barrie. Uh, where do you live? I live in Ziklag. Okay, so he gives him Ziklag. Now, Akish is really smart here. He gives him a city that's on his southern flank and so that he can uh, protect him from the enemies of the Philistines that are south towards Egypt. And so David goes, great. That's a good deal for Achish. But it's also a good deal for David because what David actually started doing was actually fighting those same enemies were the enemies of Israel and he started protecting Israel's southern flank from their enemies under Achish's pay. Now that's a good deal too. And so uh, David is kind of playing them. Now, the truth is he's lying to Achish, isn't he? Achish was really taken with David. He says, I just know, like... So Achish gives him a city where he can protect Achish's flank, acting as a buffer between the Philistines and their southern enemies. And David lives there for over a year. This is a really good time for David and his men. They're safe. They have stability. They've got a place to live. He's got a job. This is going great. They're getting some stuff, getting some donkeys. You know, like that's the Ferrari of the day, right? Camels, getting some sheep. That's like gold, man. That's a bank account right there. So David and his men are doing really well. They've achieved some stability. And that's really what we go. We get safe and then we get stable. We all need that in our lives. That's a good plan. Uh, I can have some hope in desperate circumstances when I get some safety and when I get some stability. And so... Uh, what does stability look like for us when we're in desperate circumstances? I have a list. I want to give you a, a list of a few things. My list isn't up there. So uh, you'll just have to write it down. Sleep. What brings stability to my life? Uh, sleep. Most psychologists and therapists try to get their clients into a good sleep rhythm as soon as possible. Sleep deprivation or the effects of not sleeping well are draining. Has anybody ever experienced that? Maybe you sleep well all the time. I don't know. One of the questions we always ask when we get is, how did you sleep? Oh, not so great. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> or, or, or I didn't notice. How did you sleep? Great. Yeah, I noticed that. I wasn't asleep. You were asleep. That's good. So getting, getting a good sleep pattern is really important. So many people just don't help themselves in this area. What do you do? Yeah, I can't sleep. So what do you do? You start, turn on your computer or Play with your phone or turn on the TV. And what does that do? It stimulates your brain. And so you're doing exactly the opposite of what you should do. My wife says, why don't you get up? I go, no, no. I'm going to find the position I usually wake up in. I'm going to get in that position. I'm going to close my eyes. And I'm going to start breathing really heavy until I'm gone. <laughs> I'm just going to work at going to sleep. That getting into a good sleep pattern. Hey, do you know, it's a proven fact that when the time changes, there's all kinds of accidents the next day, and that's just one night. 
What if you string together several nights of lack of sleep? Now, some people wrestle with this. I understand. But the best thing that you can do is get the best sleep you can. So work at it. Work at getting a good night's sleep. How about this? Nutrition. Getting some good meals into you regularly. Um, when, when people are in crisis, one of the first things we do is we give them a lot of sleep. Just let them sleep. And then we feed them. And we try and get them into a, a good, a, a good um, new, some good nutrition. Eating regularly. Eating healthy. Every once in a while I get asked, uh, are you hungry? When was the last time you ate? Now, there's a very good reason I'm being asked those questions. <laughs> what is it? It's because I'm hangry. <laughs> it's something showing. Um, I'm out of steam. And so uh, getting some good uh, nutrition. Here's another one. How about your mood? This is a big area. Bringing stability uh, usually involves getting off drugs and alcohol. If you want some stability into your life, you got to get off the drugs and alcohol. Maybe you need some other drugs, some prescribed drugs to help. We're not against that. Everything you put in your body has an effect, for good or bad. Even legal things can be bad for you. I'm thinking coffee, but I'm not going to give it up. So just saying, it has an effect. We're a unit. We're body and soul. And to think that they do not intertwine is just reckless. And so if you're in a desperate situation and uh, you need some hope, then a really good way is to bring some stability by getting off drugs and alcohol. Listen, I, I want to say this. Learning to stabilize your moods without alcohol or weed is worth the effort to be authentically you in God's power. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't drink at all. And I don't use weed at all. Clearly, I do drink coffee. What I'm saying is that to be authentically you in the power of God is a better way of stabilizing your moods than turning to things that are, in essence, very dangerous. And we live in an alcohol-soaked society, so I think we've even lost sight of being able to live without uh, living that way. Well, listen, um, time is moving fast, but I want to talk about some systemic issues that affect stability here in Barrie and beyond, and maybe they affect you. Uh, so I want to talk about two areas um, that are very important for stability. Uh, the first is food security. We partner with the food bank to help feed hungry people. Listen, feeding hungry people is the work of God. Jesus fed people without even being asked to. The disciples said, send these guys away so they can get some food. And Jesus said, no, no, oh, we're, we're going to feed them. The people weren't asking. Jesus said, no, no, we're, we're just going to feed them. He just fed people because they needed to be fed. Listen, I don't care how they got to be where they are. They still need to eat. People need to eat. It's the work of God to feed people. Here's some facts. More than half of Canadians are $200 or less away from not being able to pay their bills. One in eight households in Simcoe, Muskoka, that's coming closer to home, are food insecure. That means they do not have enough money to pay for food, as well as housing, clothing, transportation, phone, or school supplies. And some of you are thinking, yeah, not all those are necessities. Okay, you do without them then. Just saying. People who do not eat well 
have poorer physical and mental health and are less able to participate in their community or their family. The most insecure individuals, food insecure individuals, can cost the healthcare system 121% more than average. Only one in five food insecure people will actually use the food bank. And since the food bank's use is going up, what does that say about how many more people are food insecure? So here's what you can do. Lobby for increased social assistance rates to match the reality of living costs. You know, and they get enough already. Oh, no, no, no. We're talking about Ontario Works. To rent a room in Barrie takes like half or more of what people get on Ontario Works. They don't have enough left. Now listen, we all live in a box. The box that you live in is the money that you have coming in. Some of us have a pretty big box. Um, I only live in a little piece of it and I can do all kinds of stuff with the rest of my box. But some people's boxes are very small. And in fact, if you're on OW or some sort of ODSP or some other kind of social assistance or you're the working poor, you're working two part-time jobs with no benefits. And let me just tell you, the box is too small to live in. And we who have big boxes tend to look at people and say, you should just live in your box. It's too small. And so a really good idea would be to, to the next election, lobby for more social assistance so people's boxes can be just big enough to actually live in. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Maybe you disagree with me. That's fine. But I'm telling you, uh, food insecurity is a serious thing. Well, that brings us to housing security. It's a proven fact that stable housing benefits society as a whole. Here's some more facts. The wait time for geared to income housing can be three years. What did they say you should spend on housing? 40%? 40%? Okay. Um, if, if your income is uh, very basic or low, find a place that you can rent for 40% of your income in Barrie. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Now, I know my housing costs, a mortgage is way less than rent. My housing costs are, I don't know if they're 40%. I didn't count them up. I bet they're not. But you try and find a place 40% of a lot of people's incomes, can you rent a place for $300 a month? Because that's what they get, $1,200. Oh, let's wind it up. Say they get $2,000. Okay, what's 40% of that? Um, $800. Do you know that a one-bedroom apartment in Barrie costs $1,100? If you've only got 1000 where are you going to live? I'm sorry, but these are, are systemic issues that affect um, stability. Well, I had a whole lot more to read to you, but I'm just about out of time, so I'm not going to. But uh, check out redwoodparkcommunities.com. They're building safe, affordable, hopeful housing and supportive community. These people are the ones who are kicking it in Barrie, let me tell you. Uh, they run United House, transitional housing offered to women and children leaving the Barrie Women and Children's Center. They uh, work with Second Suites, which is working with the city and county to utilize funding available, by the way, to you for creating affordable living spaces in existing residences. They run the Furniture Bank, which is helping outfit people who need it with donated furniture from people who don't. That's genius. Uh, Hope Through Housing is a building of family short-term supportive housing center in partnership with Salvation Army right on Lillian Street. Uh, you could also check out this, wowliving.ca. Uh, where the unstoppable Jody Green Street is turning RVs into Four Seasons Affordable Housing. 
Listen, uh, Glenn Pearson is the director of the London Food Bank, and he recently tweeted, We don't want to look at all the suffering and anxiety in our community, but we must, since there is no future if we don't understand what's wrong. This is our community to celebrate and to repair, but we must look and understand why our social fabric has grown so frayed. So here's the question. What do you need to become more stable? Uh, Let me ask you a more important question because I think most of us here are pretty stable. Is your stability reflecting your identity and what your true values should be? Or is, is my stability serving me or am I using my stability to serve others? Those are big questions. Those are tough questions. A great book uh, recommended to me is Generous Justice by Tim Keller, if you want to explore a little bit more about that. Well, listen, I find hope in desperate circumstances when I prioritize seeking safety, settling stability, uh, third, sharpening strategies. And so uh, at this point in David's life, it seems like he's completely disconnected with his identity and values, and yet not all is as it appears. What did we say he was doing? He's actually serving Israel by protecting their flank, and is actually probably fighting against the Philistines to some degree um, where he is. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. There was a lot of people that thought of David as a servant. Nabal, in in a chapter we didn't read just before this, said, yeah, yeah, David, David, yeah, there's lots of servants running away from their masters these days. He's just a servant. Achish said, he's going to be my servant. Well, let's remind ourselves, who is David? He's the king of Israel. He's the king of Israel. And so to see him as just a servant is a dangerous thing. Eugene Peterson in Leap Over a Wall, Earthly Spirituality for Everyday Christians says, the storyteller doesn't say that this is the right thing to do, what David has been doing. Simply, this is what David does. And in precisely these conditions, God works out his purposes. The primary concern of the spiritual life is not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. I know scores of men, this is Peterson speaking, I know scores of men and women who are living under the patronage of Achish of Gath, Many of them feel terrible about it. Many of them feel guilty, but quite honestly don't know what else they can do. They have jobs with companies that do business in defiant contempt of the kingdom of God. They're married to spouses who hate the name of Jesus. They seem to be inextricably entangled in an economic system that exploits the poor and ignores the oppressed. They're doing their best to honor parents who dishonor God in thought, word, and deed. There's hardly a Christian I know who hasn't put in time, sometimes far more than David's 16 months, under Achish of Gath. And what I want to say is this. God is perfectly capable of working out His purposes in our lives, even when we cannot lift a finger to help. Better yet, God is faithfully working out our salvation, even when every time we lift a finger, it seems to contribute to the wrong side, the Philistine side. So, Uh, Let's apply this. In spite of the circumstances you are in, how can you serve God? Where can you find God working through you in unlikely circumstances? 
Let me ask you this. Do your activities in difficult, hard places still reflect your identity and your values? Sometimes in those difficult places is where the most effective witness for Christ is taking place. You, where you feel so weak and you feel like you're in the wrong place, but you're living out your values and your identity in Christ. You are the most effective witness for Christ today. Well, finally, there's this, finding hope in desperate circumstances. I find hope in desperate circumstances when I prioritize seeing solutions. So just when it seems David's plan is working out, he's faced with a wrinkle. Achish and all the Philistines are going to war with Israel. And Achish says, hey, David, ah, hey, dude, I want you to know you and your men are coming with me into battle against Israel. Now, who is David? He's the king of Israel. Who says so? God says so. Samuel said so. Jonathan said so. Saul said so. I got news for you. Achish kind of said so. And yet here he is going to battle against his own people. That seems like an impossible situation. And what would David have done? I'm pretty sure that he would have done exactly what the other Philistine commanders feared. He'll turn on us in the battle and on our flank and help Israel wipe us out. He's not coming with us. Now, I think that's exactly what David would have done. Maybe David said, okay, God, like, God, like, I've got this good deal going. I'm working for Israel. I'm protecting them. We're safe. We're stable. We've even got some, you know, camels and some donkeys going here. Like, this is a good deal. Like, God, why are you rocking the boat? But David says, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll go with you, Achish. You'll find out what your servant can do. Oh, I'm going to serve my Lord, all right. There's so much double entendre in the writing of this story. But maybe David thought, this is my opportunity. I am going to do that. I am going to serve the God of Israel, and I will turn on the Philistines, and, and maybe this is our chance, and, and working with Israel, we'll defeat the Philistines, and I don't know what will happen with Saul, but maybe I'll go in there, and I'll be welcomed back as a hero, and I'll be the king of Israel, and Jonathan will be next to me, and this is our chance. Could have been, I suppose. That wasn't what God had. He got sent back home. Saul did get killed. David did become the king, but only of the southern portion that he'd been like sending stuff to from his raids. It took seven long years of civil war with the descendants of Saul before David became the king over all of Israel. So here's our application point. What solutions are you willing to try are they in line with your identity and values, even if they're hard? Are you willing to try hard things that are in line with your identity and values? And then what if God changes things? Are you disappointed because things didn't go how you thought they should? Now that, that, I thought it was going to be this way, God. I thought I was going to be successful. I thought this business was going to go. I thought that was going to happen. I thought that... 
I thought that you were going to do things my way. Are you disappointed? Right now, are you willing to submit your hopes and plans to God and trust that He's working things out? Well, here we are. When I know who I am in light of who God is, I can face desperate circumstances with confidence because I have a plan. I get safe and then I get stable and then I find ways to serve and then I see solutions but I allow God to work out His plan in me. Let's pray. Father, we want to be before You and Lord, I want to pray for those in desperate circumstances right now. Father, we want to thank You for working in us and through us. Thank You for making us Your children, for giving us an identity, for giving us Your Word that gives us values that we can live out. Father, even in desperate times. Father, I pray for those who are in difficult circumstances. I pray for us who are not in difficult circumstances. Father, I pray that our response to you will not be just running for safety. Father, that it won't be just so that we can have a nice life. Father, I pray that our response to you would be a response of love to you for the love that you've shown to us. Father, that's the great leveler in here today. Wherever we are at, you love us. You've poured your love out upon us. You've given your son. So, Father, because we receive that, Father, help us to respond to you out of a great love for you. Father, for those in desperate circumstances, Father, I, I pray that they'll be able to have a plan. Father, I pray that you will, uh, who are not in desperate circumstances, will be able to help. Father, help us to bring safety and stability to people. Help us find ways to serve you well. Father, help us to, to see the possibilities for our lives. So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.